ride with me in my foul life. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Bandit. If you're tired of settling for second-rate gear that doesn't perform when it counts, look no further than Bandit, the ultimate choice for hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. From top-of-the-line hunting jackets to ultra-comfortable, meticulously crafted waders, Bandit has everything you need to take your outdoor game to the next level. And what's more, their gear and camo patterns are anything but average, designed to give you the edge that you need to succeed. But it's not just their gear that makes Bandit stand out. Their accessories, like their backpacks, are built to withstand anything the outdoors can throw at you. And their decoys are trusted by the best guides and outfitters across the nation. Trust us, you won't find better gear anywhere else. Head over to Bandit.com and experience the difference for yourself. Choose Bandit and dominate the outdoors like never before. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Lear. Keeping your gear safe and secure on the road has never been easier than it is with Lear. With innovative features and design like the twist handle locking system and easy lift system, Lear's truck caps and tonneau covers provide added convenience and security for truck owners. And with durable and weather-resistant materials and fully customizable options, you can trust Lear to keep your cargo safe and dry no matter where you go. Upgrade your truck today with Lear's top quality accessories. Visit Lear.com now. Was it was it harder to transition back to America this time since you hadn't been overseas in a while? Yeah. How long were you over there? Two and a half weeks, two weeks. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was good to get back over there. What uh any changes, any vast changes that you noticed since the pandemic with China being one of the, the main focuses of the COVID virus and all that? Any any like major changes that you saw over there with, with the people, the business, the operations, anything like that? Yeah, not as many people speak English. Really? <laughs> did you notice that, Eric? No, did I notice what did you say? Not as many people speak English. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah. There's there. Anybody that anybody that uh, um, yeah. I, I would I would definitely say I would definitely say that the biggest thing that I noticed was the cleanliness, like the bathrooms and stuff like that. Like everything was clean and there were oh, stores, yeah, 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 yeah. dispensers and like yeah. It was uh, that was actually quite pleasant. <laughs> That's right. I didn't even think about that. You're right. Like in the airports and crap. Yeah, yeah. You went there you're, instead of trying to hold your breath and gag to death. You just freaking. It was actually normal. So, so the that part of China was kind of uh, on a on a decline back in the day when you guys were going there before the pandemic. That as far as cleanliness and it wasn't on a decline. They just didn't do it. <laughs> what it was? <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They didn't do it. They, 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 yeah, washing your hands after you went to the bathroom and stuff like that, and just general cleanliness, even of the restaurants and stuff like that, and just everything was uh, good. I, I honestly thought I would have seen a lot more face mask wearing and stuff like that, and I think oh, many here wear. Oh yeah, I, I want to say we saw more pre-pandemic than I did now. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, on that kind of stuff. So like when, I, when I got back to the airport here, there's as many, you know, uh, in Dallas, there's many people wearing masks as there were in the airport in Shanghai or Hong Kong. Yeah, I would I would agree. How do you guys manage that flight to China? When you, when you know you're going over there, what do you do? You fly, Christian, you fly from Baton Rouge or where? To Dallas? And then is Dallas nonstop to Shanghai or how does it work? No, but Monroe. I fly from Monroe, but Monroe to Dallas, Dallas to. It's all screwed up now because they killed so many flights. You know, you should be able to go direct to Shanghai, but now you can't. Yeah, American has zero flights direct to uh, China or Hong Kong right now. So you got to fly to Tokyo, Tokyo there. Uh, I don't we're American Airlines. Oh, so. Oh yeah, we're sold. Yeah, correct. So through Seoul. Yeah. So how long is that from Dallas to Seoul? Uh, depending going or coming, going like fifteen, coming back's like twelve and a half. Yeah. 
So it's not as bad as I thought. I mean, it's not even as it's not as bad. And then is it sold to sold to Shanghai just a couple hours? Sold to Shanghai two hours, yeah. So that fifteen hour flight, do you do you manage your sleep by by supplements and you try to sleep the entire time or are you guys able to sleep on flights? Do you fly first class? What do you no. do on it? Yeah. No, first, first class yeah. tickets like about ten grand. <laughs> I mean you just there's no way to manage it. I mean, for me, I just sometimes I sleep, sometimes I don't. I don't take any ambient or anything. No. So I, I just sleep when I'm asleep and up when I'm up. You know, watch a bunch of movies and usually do do paperwork and stuff like that. I try to prepare because it's when you hit the ground, you're running over there. So do a lot of that. I, I can fall asleep on every plane ride here in the States, like Sioux Falls or Chicago, Sioux Chicago, wherever, when I'm flying here. Like I got narcolepsy. But when I get to China flight, I wish I had it. I can't, but I probably sleep an average of out of say it's 15 hours, I probably sleep four or five hours. Like off and on, four or five hours sleeping. It, it's it's like twenty-four hours when it's all said and done. Twenty-four to twenty-six hours with layovers and everything. Layovers, yeah, anything. By the time you leave your, your time house, period, you're, but your time period, you're up. You're up for about thirty-two to thirty-six, depending yeah, on. No, not not from the time you leave your house. From the time your first flight takes off, the time you land there is somewhere between twenty-four and twenty-six hours. So one day you're giving up to get there three quarters of a day to get back. So the waterfowl world is kind of on a, on a, you know, the snow goose season's over Turkey season's almost over in most places. I know there's still some stuff left in May up North, but you guys are working the waterfowl business with you, the clothing, the apparel, the business over there. Um, is it, is it something to wear? You guys go a hundred percent in design mode and there's no, like how, how do you guys process? Like, okay, the season's eight months away. We're not that fired up for it yet. You know, you guys are Christian, you're Southerner, Eric, you're Eric, you're in the Midwest season starts somewhere in November for Christian. They start somewhere in September, October for Eric is, are you guys excited as waterfowl hunters when you're in the design process or does your brain kind of shift when you're over there and it's a hundred percent business and you don't look at it through the lens of a passionate Die-hard waterfowl hunter. If that question makes sense. Yeah. I, no, I don't. I don't. You, you. It's. It's like you get in, and it was cool to get back over there because it's been what three years. Three years. But you get in a like a creative mindset. It's wild that you, you just can't do here. All right. Yeah, a, di- a different. No, it's a. It's a totally different level of mindset because you can see stuff firsthand. You can see different. Textiles, maybe fabrics or or plastics or whatever you're seeing when you're over there, and then your your creative mind can start going. But generally, I, I feel my creative mind is going from hunting season. Um, you're I'm probably more creative in the hunting season because you're out there. And you're you're constantly anal- I'm constantly analyzing what can I do better, what can what product would you know help this guy out or help this situation out. So I think along those lines. So we start so early. So a lot of this time was even going over there just to look at obviously finalizing uh, 20, <clears throat> 2023 products that are already being shipped and produced and rolling, just checking on assembly, um, you know, production lines, and then um, starting 2024, but 2024 kind of already started for us probably, you know, four to five months ago during the duck hunting season. It started even maybe even sooner than that, but seeing first round samples of that and then bringing on some new ideas and going. So you're yeah, really I mean, you a half out. You get the the ideas of of kind of what you need to do uh, product wise here during duck season, but then once you get there, then you it, it's like okay, I know I wanted to do this this project, but then you get you you can put it together. You got all the fabrics, and, and you're there long enough, you can see a, a, a sample or or new uh logo so outs just it's just crazy it's just it's awesome explain to me on that same mindset christian curtis about you guys just said that you haven't been over there in three years but prior to that you guys were at least at least three times a year i'm going to guess sometimes four or five depending on the year and the in the in the influx of work and the in the in the, the workload explain the difference if you can christian eric the 
there's things called sourcing and sourcers and third-party sourcers. You guys don't do this. You're in the factories. You're feeling the fabrics. You're meeting the owners. You're touching the product. You're watching the zipper go up and down a hundred times, making sure that that's what you want on a bag or a pair of bibs. Explain that process. Would sourcing be you make a phone call to somebody that has an office in America, but they also have an office in Shanghai, and they do all that work for you, and you just take their word for it until you see the sample, and then you approve it? Would you? Do you think banded it would be where it is today if you two weren't so dedicated to the travel and that workload of going over there yourselves and getting that creative edge because it seems to me like you guys have the advantage and bandit has the advantage without using a sorcerer is that fair to say or am i off base no i think so and i mean you just you just nailed it i mean basically there are sourcing companies that they do it all for you i mean they you, I guess maybe you give them an idea and then they go to work over there and then they send you samples and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But I don't, I, I think that without going over there and going into the, the fabric mills and the factories and seeing the, man, because there's so much new crap. I mean, they come up with a new fabric daily. Well, you never have you never have control of your of your product. You never have control of of what you're doing, where you're doing, how you're doing it. For the most part, and let's face it, uh, the last let's call it five years, um, I'd say five years, probably probably more than that. But really, these last five years, sourcing, call it the sourcing part, third party part, has become, I mean, so easy to do as long as you have some money and stuff like that. It's kind of the people, um, brands like us that travel overseas, that do the legwork, that do the hard stuff, that went to knock on doors and work at the factories, we did everything. We had the trials, the errors, ups and downs, uh, the failures, the, the 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 successes, everything we've had. Now somebody can uh, factory through Alibaba or whatever LinkedIn can contact a person and say, "Hey, I can make you these waiters." and God dang, it's a picture of our waiters. You can make it just like them. Oh, yeah, no problem. And next thing you know, you have a PO over there and you got waiters. Well, you did nothing. You did nothing but put your name on something. You didn't go out there and, and uh, put blood, sweat, and tears into it. You just did it. So um, is there third-party sourcing out there? Yeah. And do a lot of these other companies, these fly-by, I don't call them fly-by, I guess they're fly-by-night companies. But these other companies are kind of pop-up companies. That's what they're doing. <clears throat> I've been in all... Christian and I have been in, and there's other other people in our industry that have been in those factories that have worked hand in hand with those owners and been at that sewing table and been at the sewing machine and done all that stuff. And, uh, and those guys never have uh, stepped foot in that country, let alone go travel in inland and be at the factory level and meet, met the people that you're, that you're dealing with. And, you know, at that level, the other thing with the, with the sourcing route is, you you send the product to a sourcing company, they source it, right? Just what, what it says. And so they'll send that product to six or seven different factories. That's and the sourcing part, right? They're trying to, they're, they're vetting through factories that can handle it. Is that what sourcing well, is? Well, vetting through factories that can handle it in pricing. In pricing, okay. And, and so a, a factory that makes widget A for you this year it may not be the same factory that makes widget A for you next year. It may be a different factory that comes in with a better price or whatever. So essentially, you're never really important to a factory. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? You don't establish a business report, and you're not important to them. And well, let me ask you this then, Christian. You're important to these factories now. Could you and Eric, with the with the ability of freight these days to get things overnighted or two day aired from Asia to here. Could you do what you did over there the last two and a half weeks without going over there at this point in your career of you knowing the factories, establishing your relationships with these factories and their owners, or is it just too vast and you, there's no way you could get done and put your finger on it. You can do it because we've done the last three years, but two and a half weeks will take you six or eight months and and it'll take you six or eight months to get done what you want to get done and you want you don't have the benefit of seeing all the new technology 
Because I went over there with a couple of ideas this this go around. I was going to do this, this, and this. Well, I went to the fabric mill and saw these suited fabrics. I'm like, holy crap. You, you, got, you got to keep in mind, <clears throat> they're not hunters. They're not waterfall hunters. Eric, hold that thought just real quick. because I, I, And that's funny that you said the waterfall hunting part, because that's where I was going. But Christian, what do you mean, holy crap, I saw these two new fabrics? So I, I could be rest assured that with the there's going to be new samples coming out that nobody in the waterfowl business has seen you know fabric specific coming this fall to test well i mean i, I don't know that's the first time i've seen them i don't know if anybody else has seen them no but will you will bandit have samples this fall to test in these new fabrics that you never intended on seeing when you landed in china Yes. Yeah. We they changed your mind that quick. You're like we're doing it because oh, well, I never, I mean, it's like yeah. You got to you got to remember. I mean, the amount of fabrics, and we'll just talk fabrics quick because Christian deals a lot more with the fabrics on his side than I do. But the sheer amount of fabrics, the we, the weave, everything's woven, the uh, durability, um, whether it's a nylon, whether it's a poly uh, wool, whatever cotton, it's just it's a plethora, right? It's just a, a crazy amount of stuff and the way they feel the hand, the durability, all the different, there's so many different levels and different coatings and TPUs and laminations, whatever, right? Tons and tons of stuff out there. These guys that are working these textile factories are not waterfall hunters, right? They don't know what they, 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 they have this stuff. So they don't know. They have all this new stuff. They don't know. They can't possibly send me everything new and say, Hey, look at all this new stuff we got this year. But will something work? Now, when we travel over there, we can see it firsthand because it's there on hand and we can look at it. And then that sparks our ideas, right? They don't know that this widget of fabric right here is going to be unbelievable in this facet. They have no idea what that, fa- they don't have any idea what that is. But Christian sees and goes, oh, shit. Now, this, this would make an unbelievable XYZ. You know what I mean? Or this would come in perfect to fit this function of this product, right? And then, boom, there it goes. There's your develop process. You just start going and steam, steam, streaming off of that. And, and they don't. It, the fabric mills are just like we are in the sense that they're trying to innovate and stay on top, the top of their game. You know, there's, they're trying to, to stay at the top of the fabric mill world. You know, like we've got all these new fabrics now. They don't necessarily know like in the waterfowl world, what, what's relevant or not, but they're always making new stuff. Always. And you just, you got to be there to, to get in on that. Could those two and a half weeks happen domestically? Is there anywhere in this country that you could walk into, let's just say an avenue of, of warehouses and factories? Is there anywhere domestically in the continental United States, and let's just say Canada, that you could get that same experience that you guys had the last two and a half weeks? There's no, all the textiles in the world are in Asia. Yeah. Every one of them are in Asia. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess somebody could have it here, but they get it all shipped over here from Asia. Yeah. I mean, we got some blow molding and some buckles and stuff like that are being made here, plastics and stuff like that that are over here. But when it comes to your cut and sew textiles and your laminations and the bulk stuff there, there's, there's some very, very small pieces that are made here, especially for the military, but it's, it's so, so, so small. Which is not and here. No more. There I wish are it was. a few small cut and sew deals here, but it's just so out of this world expensive. So, as far as the timeline goes, you guys just spent part of your spring in Asia, going through textiles, going through fabrics, coming up with ideas for new products. The next step now is samples to test in the fall of 23 and the winter of 24 that will potentially be in the catalog for fall of 24 or will this, okay. So for this is already, this is more than a year out for what you guys just did over there. Yeah. This is for fall. This is for fall of 24. So that timeline right there is going to, when when will you see samples of the things that you got? Will you get drawings first? Is the next step you What's That's the beauty. We, we work so long with these factories. They'll do their drawings, but, you know, and they'll send them to us. But it's, we'll get, hopefully, we'll get start getting samples um, in a month. Yeah, I would, that's what I'd say. About 30 days, we'll start having some samples. And then we'll, we'll review them and, you know, before anybody else sees them, we'll review them and say, ah, this, is, this isn't going to work. Or 
man, this is freaking awesome. And we just need to change this thing. And then we'll go one or two more rounds of samples and then we'll, we'll get samples to uh, test and, and use in the fall. What you just said right there, Christian, this could get a little personal as far as like your inner psyche, but uh, you guys have a lot of pride in this because you're so close to it. Like you're there from the very beginning. Have you ever had your heart sink because you had a dud after what you just said, like, oh, this is going to make a badass product. And then you get it over here, go to market, the retailer takes it, it goes to the shelf. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Has that happened to you before? No, I, I don't know that that has happened. That it's got as far as the shelf, but it's definitely happened where it just didn't sell the dealers. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have your same vision. Uh, who knows? I mean, yeah, they just didn't see it, and that's happened. I mean, I think that's happened to everybody. So you're saying that there's badass products that could have had the banded tag and icon and the logo on it, designed by you two, that nobody will ever see because they got shot down by maybe one or two certain buyers at a dealer. Well, no, I'm not saying one or two. I'm saying, you know, a whole dealer base. And and I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's like, I guess it's kind of like an artist painting, painting. They sit back and look and go, oh, that's badass. And then everybody else looks at it and goes, what the crap is that? <laughs> Same deal. You know what I mean? How personal, how personal do you two take it? Oh, very personal. Is it like fist fights? Like, do you get red? Do you when like, no, what do you think? Like, do you get red when you can't get your concept across to somebody? I mean, it's frustrating, but at the same time, I mean, they're the customer, you know, you just bear it. So this podcast is going to release in the next seven days. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we can say that I can get excited for? Like, hey, wait till you see this bag or wait till you see this new waterfowl helmet that you're going to have to wear or whatever. Like, is there something you can tell me that that's that's unbelievable or is that letting it out of the bag? And in this industry, you got to be real careful with that. Well, no, the stuff that that's coming for fall 23, it's out there, uh, you know. No, I mean samples that are that we're looking at for next year. We, we, we could you get us fired up about anything that far in advance? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing is the the cool new fabrics. That was what I was most excited about. So fabrics, as far as technology, feel, yeah. flexibility, comfort. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this specifically: We have a, a a line of pants in our in our casual line that I wear every day. Um, is there anything new coming in that factor to 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 broaden that offering of your guys' style of developing these pants, whether it's whether it's the waistline has a little bit of elasticity to it and stretchability to it, something that doesn't have tight cross our, our the, the pant designs we have and all of our waiter pants and our casual pants are dead on. Is this something that you guys are going to broaden and, and have a larger portfolio in? In, is, that, in, is that on the table? Any of them. Pants, camouflage pants, casual pants. I just love wearing every single pants that you guys are coming out with with the banded logo. Yeah, we've updated um, the old White River waiter pant that's been around since we've updated that coming out in fall 23 with some new fabrics. It's really cool. And it's like the biggest thing nowadays is is, is about everything has stretch. You know, everything has spandex in it now, which is, man, it's so much. I mean, think about jeans, uh, khakis. <laughs> everything is, has stretch now. It's just so much more comfortable. And, uh, yeah, we're doing, we're doing a lot of that. How do you guys keep up with the Joneses? And what I mean by that, Christian and Eric, is you guys are almost 50. You guys aren't, and myself included, we're not – what we were when we first started this issue. I got pictures of all of us in 2000. I'm talking 23 years ago when we were, when you guys were in design, then you guys were doing products and helping launch greenhead gear decoys and all of this stuff. How do you guys in your, in your minds fathom the thought or keep up with the Joneses? These kids are 20 years old now. They're 22. They get their content a different way. They're, 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 they're not even raised the same way we were. I think that's fair to say from all of my investigation <laughs> through personal life and through this podcast. How do you guys do it to keep up with the styles that you think will sell to the new waterfowl consumer? Well, we got we to gotta pay attention, obviously. That's one thing that, you know, 
a lot of us compared to other manufacturers, we're, we're on hand at a lot of these consumer shows and in the retail stores and the retail settings quite a bit, not nearly like we used to be, but realistically we're in there, we're in there uh, more often than not, especially compared to our competition, but it's, it's paying attention to the kids, what they're wearing, how they're wearing. Is it a, you know, like pants and stuff like that. Those, these skinny jean type things that have come out that are more, more popular or different types of fits. Um, and then tailoring those certain styles to that customer. Um, but yet, you know, we still have, you know, our age or older or bigger guys that the, the same token that you gotta, you gotta watch for. So I mean, I think it's just pay attention, keeping your finger on the pulse. You, gotta, you also have to remember that in the 23 years, like you said, trend, you're talking trends, but at the core, the base of it, do you hunt any different today than you did 23 years ago? No. Duck hunting, duck hunting. You still leaning against a tree or sitting in a boat or sitting in a blind, sitting in a pit? Right? 100%. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the core of it, the base of it, doesn't change. I mean, we're still, when you hunt in the, in the woods, you still hunt like they did in 1940. In your in your mind, Christian, and you've I'm gonna assume that you've duck hunted a lot more than Eric. You've duck hunted more than me in your life. You've started way earlier than both of us, I would imagine. Eric, is that fair to say? I don't want to cut you out of something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The golden age, you always hear about man, these are the good old days. Those were the golden years of duck hunting. How much more advanced are we as far as that slogan goes right now, Christian? Like you said, 23 years ago, there's pictures of you and I at Tyndall's Reservoir in Arkansas, mm-hmm. wearing some jackets, and we were both, you know, up and comers and trying to do what we were going to do in this industry. Were those the golden years? Are we living in them now? Was it the 1950s? I know that the duck hunting is has changed, and the flyways have changed, and science and biology and nutrition and all that's changed. But are you envious of? Any other air in duck hunting, or do you think we're living in it right now? I think it's it's generational. I think I think everybody has their quote unquote golden years. Um, but like those pictures of us hunting tendrils, if we were hunting today, it'd still be the same way, right? Um, but I, I wasn't alive in the forties and fifties. I don't know. Um, there's no way that you could go out and be as comfortable in the 40s and 50s oh, as we no, are today, no, right? no, 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 no. My grandpa told me one time, he said, if you ever hear somebody tell you about the good old days, slap them. He said, because there wasn't anything good about them. <laughs> I, I, I would think that. Ed, talk to me about this now, guys. Are we... You, you hear this analogy, and I touched on it a second ago, about the way people are raised, the way kids are raised today. Is the duck hunting customer base going to stay strong with the new generation of kids coming up? Or is it rest assured and safe to say that these hunting families are raising their kids the same way they were raised? I guess what I'm saying is how do we get new people into this? How do we attract new people with the way kids are being raised today? I understand mentorship, but does that worry you too at all that this customer base potentially could go away someday because kids just aren't the same? You know, you hear that, and you hear that, and you hear that. But I'm telling you, when you go to these stores, man, kids are everywhere. I mean, it's not like, holy crap, there's no kids hunting. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah, and I tend to to agree, too. And I I think duck hunting became, over the last couple of years, has become cool again. And it's been, and, and I don't know how to explain it other than I have, you know, buddy's kids that grew up in a hunting household that hunt. And now I, I see him and they got pictures posted and they're out hunting with their other buddies. And I know their buddies are not hunters. Their dad's not a hunter. They're not a hunter. But since he's a hunter, now they all got into it and they all have waders and gear and they're all going duck hunting together because they become that one kid got him into it because it's cool. So I, I kind of agree with Christian. I think it's still. My hypothesis, and I know where you're going with it because the data says, Less duck stamp sold and all that. That's what you're referring to. Exactly. My hypothesis is, is that it's the older ones. The older ones are quitting? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I think it, because I know when I graduated high school, 
there's only three or four people that duck in there. And now it's tons of kids. I, I don't think it's a and, and here's another example. Uh Arkansas tried to change um they put forth a deal to change the duck season this year for the first time in maybe uh, maybe ever. I don't know how long it's been to start duck season the Saturday after Thanksgiving when it's been the Saturday before Thanksgiving forever. And yeah. man, you want to talk about backlash. And the main reason was because kids were out of school for Thanksgiving and wanted, and, and they and their families wanted them to be able to hunt. That week leading up to, leading up to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, Thanksgiving, you know, the day before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, if they didn't if they didn't open it till the Saturday after, they'd only get two days, and then they're back at school. Is their point? Right, right. And so they they uh, relented and put it. Well, they never changed it, but they relented on the their plan, and it's back to what normally is. Do you look forward to that time of year, Christian, being from that part of the area of the country? Uh, your association relationship that Eric has it too with Chuck Locke and Barron at Max Prairie Wings in Stuttgart, Arkansas. Do you look forward to that time period of the World Duck, the, the Wings Over the Prairie Festival, the Max Festival? Um, does that still hold water in your psyche, Christian? Or have you gotten to that age of where, like, uh, you know, it is what it is? No, I think that, that that it always will. I mean, it's just, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, so to speak. Will you be there this year? Will you will oh, yeah. you be around Stuttgart that time of year this year? I've been for even pay how long. Yeah. Yeah. Plus years. Do you yeah. even do you even try to venture down the main street to see anything to do with the duck calling contest? You know, I we're so busy at Max that I haven't been down there and Several years. Sometimes I try to catch the finals after the store closes. Um, but man, we're just so busy at Max, you know, helping out and and selling product that it, it's hard to get away. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Napa Valley Olive Oil. As avid food enthusiasts, the Foul Life team is passionate about using high quality ingredients in their dishes. Did you know that recent studies have revealed that some well-known olive oil brands are adding filler oils like canola and vegetable oils to their products and then selling them as pure olive oil? It's alarming to think that the olive oil you've been buying from the grocery store may not be as pure as you assumed. This episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Secure It Gun Safes. The gun safe industry has lost touch with what owners really need, but Securit is changing the game. Their products meet the highest industry standards and are trusted by law enforcement agencies, military personnel, and gun owners across the country. What sets Securit apart is the focus on customization and adaptability. The cradle grid technology allows you to customize the layout of your gun safe to fit your specific firearms, and the modular design lets you add or remove components as your needs change. And the best part? Securit offers a variety of gun safes to choose from so you can find the perfect fit for your collection. Whether you need a compact hidden gun safe for your bedside or a large gun cabinet to store your entire collection, Securit has you covered. Securit's Fastbox hidden gun safes are designed for quick and easy access and can be mounted in a variety of locations for maximum flexibility. And unlike traditional gun safes that are heavy and difficult to move, these products are lightweight and easy to install. Don't settle for a one-size-fits-all gun safe that doesn't meet your needs. Head over to SecuritGunStorage.com to learn more and to order your own in innovative gun storage solutions today. How do you describe, and Eric, you've been there too, so please chip in. How do you describe that experience to somebody from Reno, Nevada, that's never been? If I said, hey, Christian, or I'm talking to a travel agent, and I'm like, and they know all about it. Like, how do you say, here's what you're going to experience there that you're not going to get in Reno, Nevada? I mean, it's the culture. It's kind of cheesy, but it's like, Going to Cooperstown or something, or or or, or uh, can't know how. I mean, it's just it's <clears throat> being from the South. You know, Eric may have a different perspective, and and you being from Reno, you may have a different. You, Eric may say, "No, nah, yeah, I don't think so." It's not, but man, if you're from the South, I mean, that's just it's where it was born, and and it's it's the. Uh, it's all the stories you hear. Flooded timber. It's just the epicenter of all of it. It's where 
where it kind of, you know, where it started, not where duck hunting started, but, but the whole thing being from the South and it's just, uh, it would be, I guess the equivalent of, uh, the opener of pheasant in South Dakota. What, what Mitchell Mitchell. Yeah. Oh yeah. You say Mitchell. Yeah. Something like that. Pressure. But yep. <clears throat> I, I think that, yeah. I mean, I even think it's even so much, I, I wouldn't even relate that to it that, uh, I've been there. Um, seen it walk downtown a few different times on it, usually again busy at mats, but just seeing the culture, the excitement, the enthusiasm towards it is I don't know what else you can explain to. Like you said, going 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 somewhere that's you know special. Um really well, yeah, I mean, like whether you're going to like while we're talking here, I just booked my tickets to Pearl Harbor, right? It's a totally different deal. But it's a special thing. It's a special place you want to go, and it's a special thing you're gonna take in, right? Um, that, so I think that's how I looked at it. And then the excitement level to me was the first time I went down, there was kind of like going to like a tailgate, um, of a big, you know, I haven't been to like an LSU tailgate, but I can only imagine what that's like, but I've been to a few other bigger colleges tailgates and it's kind of like that, the excitement level that's there and just having fun. Everybody has that one common core thread and love, um, whether it's for a football team or for duck hunting. Right. So it's pretty cool. Really cool. And, yeah. I, and I think part of it is, is, and, and, and I think this, y'all may, may say I'm not right or may differ, but I, I believe that any duck hunter in the United States aspires or dreams about hunting in the flooded timber one time. I agree hundred percent. So, so that is the epicenter of it. I mean, by Mita, White River, I mean, that's it. And, and I think that's a lot of it, too. I mean, there's so much allure and romanticism about hunting the timber. And I just believe that it, that's everybody that duck hunts wants to, to experience that one time. So that's a lot of it as well. And I, I, you, just, you just brought some up there, Christian, that kind of flashed back old memories, right? Why, what got me into it? What, what I had a buddy, Jim Thompson <clears throat> that got me into it and hunting uh waterfall. And it was obviously my hunting up here was potholes and slew some river hunting um, and Missouri river um, for geese or whatnot. But the duck hunting was all field hunting and slew slew at first and some field hunting. Cause obviously they got really popular, but learning stuff and watching stuff. There wasn't a lot of videos and stuff out there. There, I mean, uh, Caleb did some stuff and a few other guys did some stuff up here in North Dakota and South Dakota, but you're watching stuff on TV, the television or videos, right? The duck hunting in the South, that core timber hunt, that kind of resonated. And you just thought about, wow, that is, that is freaking, I mean, majestic to me, totally majestic to us. I mean, I'm North Lake that why are they there? Why do they do that? Um, but see that deal. Now, I hope that the kids that are 14 and 15 years old are doing that. Like, you know, there's not a lot of TV out there that's doing that stuff anymore. There's not a lot. And it's just, it's a different way of getting that information across to people. And uh, will they see that? Will they be, you know, or are they just, you know, hey, we got potholes and we're in love with potholes and we're in love with field hunting. You know what I mean? It'd be interesting to see how stuff goes. Yeah, but. I can't argue that because when I would watch, like, let's, you know, the the famous, the most famous VHS tape of all time was what? The Duckman of Louisiana. It wasn't yeah. Arkansas, <clears throat> but it was still a lot of trees. And then you would watch Whistling Wings, the Mossy Oak series, yeah. and they were always in the timber. Mississippi, yeah. Arkansas, the Delta, Mississippi, Louisiana. And it was. That's a good point, Eric, that it brings up. Let me ask you this, Christian. When you get that many people together, um, there's a lot of different personalities with, with what you hear in this industry of infighting, stop the infighting. If you hunt with a crossbow and not a traditional bow, if you hunt, if you pass shoot ducks and not call them into the decoys, all of these, all of these different arguments you hear, whether it's message boards or social media, whatever. Christian Curtis, do you see a lot of ego when you get to that size of an event that almost like everybody that's there wants to be there? They chose to be in Arkansas. And I would say that there's probably more tourists and out of towners and out of staters in Arkansas that week than there are locals. Is that fair to say? And do you see a lot of, a lot of ego down there? I mean, you know, I, it doesn't stand out. No, I mean, I don't, but I think, I mean, the, the ego, if I were all competitive, right. And it, 
we all want to be the best and and in, in anything we do, no matter what it is. And, and what sucks about it is in today's world, it you know people air that on social media or message boards or whatever they air that infighting and people that don't need to see it see it you know what i mean and that's what sucks but i think that it's all everybody's competitive at anything everybody wants to be the best everybody wants to have the best spot everybody wants to shoot the most or, you know whatever uh, it's just it's unfortunate that it gets aired in public public forums nowadays so much more because of social media, I assume. Mm-hmm. So when everybody's together, the ego kind of isn't as evident when there's not uh, as much uh, keyboard uh, muscle? No, I don't see it. Let me ask you this. Coming from Reno, Nevada, I've never been there. You both have been to what we call the Duck Gumbo Celebration. Should I check out Duck Gumbo or is it overrated? I have never been there. You've never been to the, the Duck Gumbo Festival? Not one time. It happens during this same time, right? It happens Saturday afternoon. What is Duck Gumbo? Is it colleges competing in the best no, gumbo recipe? No. Or so do you it's, even know? it's really cool. But yeah, you should go. And I just, I've never been. And again, it's just so busy at Max that my priority is there. And um, I bet, I'm going to say this. I don't know if this would be true, but I bet you that Chuck Locke's never been to the Duck Gumbo. Really? I bet he hadn't. Not even to make it <laughs> But anyway, it's a, it's a, a gumbo cook-off. Um, they have, I don't know how many booths, quote-unquote, booths or things they have. Um, maybe 30, 40. I don't know the number. But it, it's a constant number of booths and teams. And they all have a theme, and the booths are... From what I understand, I've seen pictures of very elaborate two-story booths in this gigantic circus tent, and uh, you can't get a booth. It's it's crazy. The booths are in people's wills. Like, they will will their booths to their children. It's crazy. Um, Are they they fraternities? No. No. Okay. No. So, so 20 years ago, if you had got started, you could have the Christian and Eric gumbo team there with all of your friends helping you. If you got a booth, yeah. If you got a booth. Okay, so I thought I've always been under the impression that it was a college based thing. Mm. Mm. It's not. Okay. Mm. No. Example is uh like War Eagle has a booth and have had one for years and years and years. And uh Mike and John don't do it anymore, but uh John's son's taking it over. Tucker. So he he does it. But yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a gigantic, gigantic party. They have live music and it's huge. And I, at one time, I can't remember, this has been probably 20 years ago. It was one in the top 10 parties of the year in Playboy magazine. Holy smokes, being parties like is there is there bands and music? Is there yeah, bar, yeah. are there bars set up? Is it beer only or how does you you might not know I that think, not being I think it's beer only, but yeah, they sell beer and live music. And they have a band. It's a big Eric, deal. Eric, hearing Christian talk about that, can you think of any other events? And we've come up, we came up in what I consider the prime age of retail events, or you know, just events as a whole, whether it was duck and goose calling contests or festivals or whatever. This one that Christian's talking about in Stuttgart, Wings Over the Prairie and Max and all this, has stayed true. It's a tradition. Mm-hmm. Are there any other that hold water to it in the country that you can think of for waterfowl hunting? No, I mean, <clears throat> only one that I would say that comes close to it would be, and that's not even, it's so far from, from it as far as um, the retail aspect of it and seeing uh, waterfall gear and, and uh, calls and stuff like that. It has that aspect, but it's not the same, same uh, class would be game fair up in, up in Minnesota. And that's all, that's always been really big for waterfall hunters. And it's a pretty big attraction. Lots of people come through it and, and it's still big to this day. And it's actually got it's slowed down a little bit, but it's gotten starting to get bigger again, but that's a, a cool event for waterfallers for the region and stuff like that. But there's no nostalgia, anything, you know, stuff like that. That's, Based like it is in uh, 
in Stuttgart. That's for darn sure. Is Eastern Maryland still happen? Does the World Goose uh, still still get going as like it used to back in the day? Oh, I don't. I don't know either. I don't. I don't know. Like, I know they have the carving. The world. That's when they're doing the big carving contest, stuff like that. Yeah, World yeah. Goose and, and the decoy carving and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they still have that. That's still that's still going on. So, and I've never been to that. So I I can't. You know, I don't want to speak for something. I don't. Maybe maybe that is. I've been to it one time a long time ago, and it's awesome. I, I'm sure they're still doing it. You guys remember Memphis 2003? Dustin was that that was one of the best. That 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 just seemed like it had a lot of a lot of opportunity. I don't. I wonder what it went. I guess they've turned it into one one deal now. They have one major one called Ducks Dux or something. Yeah, it's like a major one that that just happened last week. And Christian, is there is there a chance that? And I know there's always a chance, but with the internet and the way people are now. Can 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 somebody start an event like this and get it going and have some success, or do you think those days are long gone? I don't know. It's like it's changed. Um, they did that one in Memphis. I, I can't remember how many years they did that. Do you remember four or five? Uh, like three, maybe three or five years, maybe at the yeah, max. Something like that. It just kind of went down, and they, they did away with it, and then they started in Oshkosh, and it ran for four years and kind of played out, and then, then they uh, you know, are in Dallas now. You know, I don't know. Um, one that's that's uh, stayed strong seemingly is is Game Fair in Minnesota, and I now I hadn't been there in years either. But <laughs> Eric goes, and I assume it's still pretty strong. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I don't know what the the gate numbers are, but I mean it's you know, fifty, sixty thousand, I suppose, probably roll through there, maybe more. I don't know. It's it's a good it's a good event. I mean, it's it's family oriented. There's booths, obviously. There's Collars Hill out there where all the booths and calling booths are and stuff like that. They have the calling contest and you can go run a dog on the pond. I mean, the setup, if that setup could be duplicated across the United States, I mean, the way that gentleman has all the paths and, and, and paved areas and the hillsides and the shooting area and the pond and all that stuff, boy, it would, I think a person, I believe something could get going again, but it has to be the right locations. Need something out west, and I don't know if you can. Oh, yeah, you be, well, that, that Christian, Christian, why don't you just take a sip of Coke Zero? Oh my gosh, is that stuff not crack? Wait, you were drinking Diet Coke in Memphis a couple weeks ago, and I was with I you. Know, what this happened? All this all got left. Do you like it as much as Diet Coke, or are you still on uh, Diet Coke? I like Diet Coke. I'm a Coke Zero. Sorry, well, you can only drink Coke Zero in China. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what they drink over there. That's all you can get. Christian, you said something the other day, and, and and I don't want to get off of where Eric was going with another retail event, and I do think it has to be the right location. It has to be the right mindset, and I'm that's where I'm going with this question, Christian Curtis. You said something to me the other day in an email about about print ad campaigns and advertising through print print now with the internet, with uh, Facebook ads, with Instagram ads, with uh, all of the different ways to market and showcase a product line or a brand. Mm-hmm. Why are you against print ads? Do you think they're dead? And if so, when I look through different magazines, whether it's Sports Illustrated or some of the bigger ones like Time or Newsweek, whatever, when I'm at the dentist office, the iconic brands are still doing it. Is that because they have the money and it's just like, hey, our budget's here. Go spend 100 grand on that. Why are you so against it? Even Maybe that's a little drastic, but why no more print ads in your opinion? I'm not dead set against it. Like I said, when you've got a limited budget, it would be, as far as advertising, I think it would be what's left over. Mm -hmm. I think some of these big, huge companies are kind of like our government. You have to spend, you got so much money budget, you just got to spend it or you're going to lose it. So they keep spending it and stuff. Where we look at it and go, you know, you have Ducks on them, you have Delta magazines, you have some magazine, Waterfowl. Wildfowl, I mean, I just got a couple more in here. And they're all pretty good, but, the, you know, what what customer base is still getting that and reading that and not just flipping through, um, looking stuff? I mean, I don't know. It's The numbers seem pretty bleak on it. And the spend is still, the spend has not come down. The spend is the only thing that's gone up. So if you're looking at it, when you're t- talking about advertising, you're looking for, 
how many eyeballs and impressions is this going to get, right? You're not going to sell a product to every single person that sees an ad, no matter where that ad's at, that we all understand that. You're looking for the percentages. You're playing, you're, you're gambling, right? So if you got an old school magazine like Wildfowl that's been around two right. decades, Ducks Unlimited, right, Ducks here. Unlimited right there, and that's an expensive magazine to advertise in. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the print. I know what I know what it used to be, right? So uh, Sport Dog here, something that's not in our category. Sport Dog, full page print. I mean, nice ad there. I don't know how many eyes are going to get on it. True, true eyes that are consumerized. What we view as a consumer, not just your. Your uh, average buddy that somebody bought a table and they just invited somebody else that doesn't even hunt that goes it now signed up and they get this magazine right. Um, they, they're not on my not on our target list, right? But that page is probably fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars, maybe twenty thousand. Heck, I don't know what it is anymore. But now you take social media. What can you what can I spend on that equal and get impressions? You know? Yeah. So what do you in, in your opinion if you got $25,000 and let's just say that let's just say that that ad is, is, uh, let's say like Eric said, 16,000, would you spend 16,000 in that and 9,000 through, uh, social media pushes or email blasts or text messaging, or would you spend, you know, that's the question. It's not, do you think it's bad? I don't think it's bad. I, yeah. Oh. Good. I just, when when your budget is your budget, you got to figure out where you're going to spend it to get the most bang for your buck. Yeah, I mean the new magazine. The new magazine is this, right? That's what all the kids. I mean, younger, say thirty five and younger, 30, 35 and younger. This is where they're getting all their information from. They're not getting like you all. We all know. It starts back to the Cabela's days and the Redhead days, and you got your catalog, right? Catalog days, right? You waited for that. I always waited for as a waterfall hunter, the new Earners. gear gear issue for whatever. Well, I you don't look for that no more. You don't even hear about it anymore. And it's not I'm not degrading or doing it. It's just times have changed. There's no more, you know, there's no more landline telephones in anybody's houses either. Times change, you know. So I mean, what, what can why do you think why why Max is down to one catalog from four? Everything's online. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I understand it, but there's also the age group of 40 to 70 that has money and disposable income that might still be old school that, that doesn't. Oh, I agree. 100%. I agree with you. Again, it's not about what's good and what's bad. It's about having a finite amount of money to spend and where do you spend it? I mean, when, when's the last time you sat down and looked at a while. I mean, I know you advertise in some of them, but outside of that, sat down and read articles and stuff like that in a mag in a magazine. Yeah. I, I, I wish I did it more. I wish I read more. I, I used to. Say. I wish I was more well-read, but you're right. Oh, I know, but I mean, I, I well, Christian okay, knows that I'm the let, worst let, reader. Let's just, let's, what's the number one spot a man reads a magazine in? Well, they, they say the restroom, but okay, that's where I'm going. Do you, yeah. oh, do you guys take your phone into the restroom every time? Every time. Every that's time. why I call like, Christian. Do you remember though? It used to be all magazine baskets, right? Yeah. That's when you call Christian. So <laughs> <laughs> I do my best thinking. This may be too much for this, but I literally, no matter how bad, if I'm about to mess my pants, I have to find my phone to get my phone before I go to the bathroom. <laughs> How many times I call somebody and we're pretty blunt. We've known each other for a long time. What are you doing? <laughs> this is what I'm doing. You're like, yeah, really? Well, Christian, <laughs> historically, Christian would let you know through the new cameras on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. He quit doing that. He slowed down. His, his, his uh, social media technologies, he's, he's kind of going back to old school on that yeah. deal. He's done with that. But, but just, when's the last time you bought a magazine? I mean, I used to go. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, well, you you guys were just in airports for a long time. Like that, exactly, that's where I was going. You we don't fly, even buy fly all the time. I used to always go in and buy hunting. I, I like guns, right? So hunting magazines, gun magazines, whatever it is. You know, Christian's into fitness, so he's always buying health yeah. magazines. But yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> what's that? What's that women's one? Women's. Uh, what do you do on a long flight? 
what, I don't go into the bookstore anymore on long flight to get magazines. As soon as I sit down, I buy the internet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing I go in there is to get peanut M&Ms for my flight over. That's yeah. <laughs> so, so, so is it fair to say that both of you were surprised that magazines aren't gone a hundred percent? I, I, and I get critical about some of the stuff. I, I look at this, th- this company, right? And it's a bad, bad to the bone. Okay. Dutch Lemon's great, great for us. Start that over. We lost you for a second. What happened? To All right. Audio? I look, I look, I'm holding up a Ducks Unlimited magazine, right? And I know that they, they do an unbelievable job for the industry and, and they're, they're great. They'll be around forever and do stuff. But I don't know how this justifies this day and age where they would maybe be looking at different, how to bring in new and younger kids. This is not the way to do it. Um, and what well, they is this? Have, they have their, their, their whole digital side. All these companies still have the digital side. Yeah. So, and you can look at it. Maybe it's getting, I mean, this catalog is a lot smaller and thinner than it used to be. Oh, you mean the, the magazine? Yeah, 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 yeah. What would you say triggers somebody right now in this market, Christian, if you're looking through an ad or an Instagram post, how do you trigger somebody? How, 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 because it used to be the ad would catch the eye, like, man, the yeah. color combinations, the phot- photography or the simplicity of it. Like what triggers people in 2023 in an ad now? Let's, let's stick to, to, to our base of waterfowl. Well, what triggers people in a positive or negative way? Uh, we don't have to look too far. The latest example, Bud Light. Right? Yep. In a negative or positive way, it's influencers, in my opinion. I think that they, I think that they, the consumers put a ton of weight in influencer recommendations and advertising more so than direct from the company anymore. I, I agree with that. Say that one more time. I want to make sure that I get that. The, 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 the consumer puts more emphasis in. I think the consumer is triggered more by influencer recommendations and advertising more so than direct from a company. So who should, who would be a positive influence on that, a button like can if that one was deemed negative? Who would have been? I mean, Shaq. I mean, Shaq's on every advertisement in the country. So yeah, but I, say, think, I think there's a fine line too. I agree with exactly what Christian uh, said about, about anybody other than the one they use. Now, if you're going out and selling, you're going out and selling shoes. Obviously, sports and athletes stuff like that. But in our world. And some of these pop-up companies world, it's no name influencers. It's it's the it's the local little heroes or people that they know of or the, the influencers that are in a whatever, maybe certain hunting area or whatever that uh um have more stroke than say a big name. Yeah, regardless, I, I just think it's the it's the, I don't know what you call it. I'm not an advertising guy, but it's like maybe third party advertising or something. It's Voices speaking for you. Okay, so let's let okay, so play the devil's advocate here. Being a consumer like both of you are, can it hurt a company to have Peyton Manning that was just doing I mean he's all he's in every company. And then Shaq <laughs> is in every company. They're like, buy car insurance. This take this pizza tastes great. Insurance, whatever. This baked beans and bushes baby, like every single thing is endorsed by these hot not hot physically. I don't want it to go there, but like hot in, in the, in the, in the world of pop culture, does that take away the authenticity of it? If it's, Oh, well, Peyton Manning's just doing another ad now because Bush beans can afford to pay him when just last week he was doing a Papa John's ad because that's the best food in the world to eat. Yeah. yeah I guess. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I think what speaks to what Eric said, it's not, it's in, in, in our world, it doesn't seem to be the, the, current popular person it's i guess i think the word is micro influencers yeah so influencers. so i mean are you are you influenced to go buy like you just said 
some of those guys that are on some crazy stuff, uh, whether it be Shaq or, or Mannings or whoever they're, you know, they're, they're on a bean commercial or an insurance commercial or whatever. A lot of them tend to be kind of funny and they get you because it's, it's kind of funny. So you pay attention to it, but I guess I've never looked at it and went, man, I got to go buy that. Now shoes. When I was a high school kid, you know, this athlete is wearing this shoe and I want to be like that athlete. Okay. I was influenced by that, but something as far as Papa John's pizza or something like that. I mean, maybe that's how I just passed that in my life, but I don't look at it, but it, I think it's just an attention getter is all it is. It's not a, it's not a, maybe that's an influencer, but it's more of an attention getter. You see him on TV. So now you're listening. So your guys' point is that a micro influencer from Wichita, Kansas with 7,000 followers can be just as powerful as somebody like Shaquille O'Neal and Peyton Manning that have over 50 million followers worldwide on their Instagram accounts? No, I don't think that that guy from Wichita with 7,000 followers can be as powerful as Shaq with 50 million. But I think that 200 guys with 7,000 followers in the right area can be really impactful. That's where we're going to end it. I want to come back in the next bandit hour and talk about what Christian Curtis just said, that quote about, well, 200 influencers with 7,000 followers can be just as influential as somebody like Peyton or Shaq when it comes to what we're doing and talking about influence, advertising, marketing. It's a great point. I'm going to think on that. Guys, let's leave them with this. Um, turkey season just got over. No, Christian, just starting Christian, for me. Are you going to go turkey hunting, Eric, or are you going to go catch walleyes, Christian? Are you on the crappie yet? We've had this argument about the best freshwater fish, but does this time of year get either one of you fired up to get in a boat and catch some fish? 100%. I'm ready to go. I have my kids' graduation, which is hard to believe, this week. Wow. Um, once that's over, our tag, they extend it now through the end of the month, for the most part, for our turkey tag. So me and the wife and Billy, we're all going to go turkey hunting and get that done and hopefully sit in a boat all at the same time one of these weekends coming up. So I got Christian, can we, can we expect to see some crappie posts on your Instagram no, account? I, I've, uh, <laughs> I've, I've relented and swapped over. I'm straight walleye now. Where are you going to go walleye fishing? Uh, you know, I don't get to fish much, but when I go, I go up to Eric's and, and I have to admit that it's better than crappie. But Eric says that yellow perch is still better than both. Uh, I know, ice, ice is out now. Ice is done. So now it's back to walleyes. So walleye in May and, and June are still good eating as opposed to catch them in the ice in January? Walleye are good all the time, and they don't really change. I mean, obviously, the water's colder temperatures early season, I think, is always better than later season or warmer water fish. But walleye are great all the time, and perch are great all the time, too. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. There's something about that. That yellow perch that, uh, and, and uh, maybe it's just the magenta, it's catching it and stuff like that, but through the ice is still the best. Christian, with as much as you love duck hunting, and it's been documented over the years, that you really, you really are OG when it comes to duck hunting. You've been doing it a while. You've been there, done that. If somebody called you right now and said, Christian, you have two weeks to get ready. We're going to Argentina for rosy bills and no limits on ducks or 50 ducks a man per day, great food and some nice red wine. Are you in or does duck hunting not mean you are you just a little bit more conceited to the to the North American part of duck hunting? No, I I would, I would go for sure. I I wouldn't be. I would rather somebody say, "Hey, let's." Uh, I got this flooded timber place um, in Arkansas. Let's go there for two weeks. I'd rather do that. But no, I would. I'm, I'm a bucket list guy. That's on the list. But this sure. time of year, when you can't hunt them in the trees in Arkansas, does that tickle your fancy at all to go shoot rosy bills in Argentina? Yeah, I mean, I would for sure. I mean, like I said, it's a bucket list deal. Yeah, I'd like to do it. Eric, could I get you away from the walleye to go to Argentina to shoot ducks in June? Oh yeah, that, that's uh, there's a lot of bucket list things, right? There's no, there's no doubt about it on stuff like that. Everybody, you gotta, you only live once. You gotta go out and do whatever you possibly yeah, can. If it's all, on all your thing, go, go for it. The Greenhead Gear Hot Seat with Christian Curtis and Eric Larsgaard. Christian, bucket list continental United States. Where do you want to go chase Mallard somewhere that you've never been? So, and I want to do a casting blast. Like now, Snake River, like, Idaho? Maybe Montana? Yeah, 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 I've always wanted to do that. So does casting blast mean that I'm going to set up for mallards in the morning and then go catch trout? In the I don't afternoon? know. That's what I, 
that's my thought, but maybe that's not why I've never done it. I just thought that part of the country is beautiful and I, I've always wanted to go out there and do that. And I mean, it's maybe shooting divers. Heck, I don't know. I assumed that it was mallards in Idaho. A lot of mallards in Idaho. Eric, hot seat, greenhead gear hot seat. If you could go this time of year right now, you mentioned Pearl Harbor. I assume you and your family are going to Hawaii. Can we expect to see you lathered up with suntan lotion on a beach on your Instagram coming up? Or are, oh, you, are you anti-beach in a pair of shorts having a Mai Tai? No, I'm going to be in I'm gonna be in shorts. I'll probably be a uh, fairly good chance I'll have a shirt on. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're in Hawaii. <laughs> I gotta get shaved down first. I was gonna uh, say, is Danny gonna shave your back? Yeah, she's gonna shave my back. I'll look I'll get like Sasquatch sighting on uh Hawaii Beach. But yeah, we've uh Christian went down there a few years back and told me where to go. And we've been it's on kind of our family to-do list, and it's kind of the last last family trip before he goes to college. So yeah, we're going to Hawaii and um I'm gonna be walking on the beach, uh swimming with sharks, I guess, that the boy wants to do and uh Pearl Harbor. So it'll be Get fun. To, uh, uh, what's the guy's name on American Idol? Ian Tongi. Oh, the big guy that can sing. Yeah. I, I saw, I saw, uh, uh, my brother was looking at one of the songs. I did. You talking about the real big Samoan guy or is he Hawaiian? No, he's Hawaiian. Hawaiian. Oh, is he really? I thought he was a ukulele. Yeah, ukulele. Yeah. Well, I think it's a guitar, actually, but it looks like a ukulele. He's okay. <laughs> Do you remember the real foot leg story? <laughs> that was good. That's, yeah. like, it's a regular size guitar. All right, we're going to end it like this. Christian Curtis, this is more geared towards you. We just lost the world champion duck caller, Trey Crawford. Did you know, Mr. Trey, had you ever met him? And was he the real deal on a single read Arkansas-style duck call? Yeah, yeah, man, that was sad. I, I actually didn't even know he was sick. It's Terrible. But uh, yeah, he was he was the real deal for sure, no doubt about it. Not just a caller, hunter, good guy, just sad deal. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Mr. Trey Crawford. That's been Christian Curtis, Eric Larsgaard, Banded Brands. I'm so fired up for what these guys have coming. I'm I'm 48 years old, self-admittingly, and I'm more excited about duck season 2023-24 than I've ever been. And I think that that just keeps accumulating over the years, and it's because being associated and friends with these guys and seeing what they're coming up with and knowing that uh, we're going to get to go out and be comfortable. We're going to get to be warm. We're going to get to stay dry. We're going to get to see a lot of mallard ducks and more importantly be around friends and family around that campfire that thermos that wet dog that boat ride that flooded timber those potholes in south dakota with eric larsgaard i'm chad belding thank you all for tuning into another episode of the foul life podcast banded hour fired up for it thank you all so much Wow.